We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program, featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. Our telephone number, if you want to join tonight's late night live national town hall forum, feel free to do so. The phone number is 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. And the House of Representatives uh, narrowly passed uh, McCarthy's debt ceiling package, McCarthy in fact, uh, did agree to raise the debt ceiling. We'll get into that a little bit before the end of this hour. We have some audio from McCarthy I want you to hear. I'll give you my thoughts on that. Initially, again, I think it's never a good idea to raise the debt ceiling. That's just where I stand as a matter of principle. Uh, That doesn't mean I hate you and I think that you're a satanic rhino if you do do that. I think it's um, the the wrong way to go, Uh, but I understand where they are, right? It's a... What are you going to do? I guess we shut down the government for a very long time. I mean, that's a possibility. Um, should we play hardball? Potentially. I guess it's a matter of of really um, figuring out what the political will is. Uh, I think eventually if you do something like that, I don't think you get the Democrats to capitulate and go, yeah, you know what? We, we probably ought not to uh, not, uh, raise the debt ceiling. However, I do believe that you can uh, – twist a few arms uh, like we saw. Right. You know, so I, I mean, I'm honestly, I'm of two minds on this. Well, I don't I think it's best that we get along. I think it's also important to to fight on principle. And uh, we saw this with um, McCarthy's um, vote where I think, you know, we ultimately had a vote for McCarthy because it seemed like the the most politically expedient thing to do. Uh, but at the same time, there were a few members that said, you know what, we're, we're going to do this anyway. But you know what, we're going to we're going to let our voices be heard and we're going to flex our muscle a little bit here and we're going to throw our cloud around. And I'm glad they did because they got a better deal. So that is part of how negotiation works. And I think that there there might have been a little bit more of that that might have uh, benefited us. Uh, but I, I saw this coming and I think we all saw this coming. Right. I don't think this makes uh, McCarthy a, a horrible person. I don't think it makes him anything. Cause I know anytime I say anything. That's even remotely positive about McCarthy. Right away, I'm labeled a rhino and this and that. And then somehow all of a sudden they they beat me up for hating Putin. Uh, Somehow my hate for Putin automatically becomes support for Ukraine. And I'm no fan of Zelensky, by the way. Um, I just uh, I hate Putin that much more, if that makes any sense. Anyway, 
not to get tangential, that's not what I want to get into. But yes, McCarthy did uh, vote to raise the debt ceiling. Uh, That's my initial gut reaction on that. Hunter Biden's lawyers have met with Department of Justice prosecutors and Tucker Carlson has spoken out. We're going to get to that in a second. We've got the full audio and uh, we're going to play it for you. Uh, But Hunter Biden's lawyers were meeting with the prosecutors at the Department of Justice about pending criminal, uh, this pending criminal investigation that he's been under for, I don't know, two years now, maybe a little more. And his attorneys uh, had this meeting. The situation has been more than a couple of years, excuse me, since 2018. Uh, the office of U.S. Attorney David Weiss in Delaware has been looking into Hunter Biden. NBC News uh, reported last week that the prosecutor considered charging Hunter Biden with four criminal charges. Mm-hmm-hmm. Dun, dun, dun. Anyway, now the uh, prosecutors are considering these charges which would be a felony count of tax evasion in connection with business expenses, uh, two counts of misdemeanor failure to file taxes, and a fourth charge would be a felony related to an alleged false statement related to a gun purchase in 2018. Now, that one was all over the place. People spoke about that by and large. And guess what? Nothing. So let's see what happens there. Anyway, uh, Hunter wrote on a form that he was neither addicted nor abusing any unlawful substance at the time. Hunter was using cocaine, and he has since admitted to using cocaine at the time of that that gun purchase. NBC News uh, also reported uh, two senior law enforcement sources said that there is a growing frustration inside the FBI because the majority of the investigation uh, by bureau agents had been completed a year or so ago. So it looks like there's a little stonewalling here, a little uh, slow walking, trying to, um, you know, delay this as a delay tactic to help the president, to help the first son. I don't know. I don't know. And I don't know. I do. Uh, I do know that if he if any one of us, right, anybody listening to this program would have done anything even remotely close to lying on an application to obtain a gun and not not. There's a whole other part of that story, right? With his girlfriend and a dumpster and all that stuff. But just that first part, we'd all be in a bunch of trouble, right? In a world of hurt. But Hunter Biden, he gets to say, oh, I made a mistake. I was high. Forgive me. I'm so sorry. We want to buy a painting? It's 75K. Um, that's what Hunter Biden gets to do. So that's that. Let me see. There's a couple other things here. Tucker Carlson, we're going to get to him in a second. Biden is spending uh, over a million dollars on his ad campaign in six battleground states. Uh, why? Well, because he's going to be running his campaign by way of video and television and, and however else you can run your campaign uh, that does not include actually going places and meeting with voters. That he's going to keep to the absolute minimum. And not because he's the sitting president, because he did the same exact thing when he ran for president the first time. Right? He was, uh, uh, he had those very small events. He had a uh, Lots of videos coming from his basement office and uh, managed to get him into the White House. Go figure how that works out. Anyway, uh, that's that. And um, the Senate is advancing on the labor nominee who has been problematic. And we'll get to that a little later. Plus, we're going to talk about Sudan and uh, a little bit on um, employment, a little bit of an employment update and what people can do to get a job because uh, that seems to be tightening as well. But I want you to hear what's going on with Tucker Carlson, right? He uh, briefly broke his silence after his ouster from Fox News 
and um, he uh, has this video that was put out, I'd say less than an hour ago. Listen to this. Good evening, it's Tucker Carlson. One of the first things you realize when you step outside the noise for a few days is how many genuinely nice people there are in this country, kind and decent people, people who really care about what's true, and a bunch of hilarious people also, a lot of those. It's gotta be the majority of the population, even now. So that's heartening. The other thing you notice when you take a little time off is how unbelievably stupid most of the debates you see on television are. They're completely irrelevant. They mean nothing. In five years, we won't even remember that we had them. Trust me, as someone who's participated. And yet at the same time, and this is the amazing thing, the undeniably big topics, the ones that will define our future, get virtually no discussion at all. War, civil liberties, emerging science, demographic change, corporate power, natural resources. When was the last time you heard a legitimate debate about any of those issues? It's been a long time. Debates like that are not permitted in American media. Both political parties and their donors have reached consensus on what benefits them, and they actively collude to shut down any conversation about it. Suddenly, the United States looks very much like a one-party state. That's a depressing realization, but it's not permanent. Our current orthodoxies won't last. They're brain dead. Nobody actually believes them. Hardly anyone's life is improved by them. This moment is too inherently ridiculous to continue, and so it won't. The people in charge know this. That's why they're hysterical and aggressive. They're afraid. They've given up persuasion. They're resorting to force. But it won't work. When honest people say what's true, calmly and without embarrassment, they become powerful. At the same time, the liars who've been trying to silence them shrink, and they become weaker. That's the iron law of the universe. True things prevail. Where can you still find Americans saying true things? There aren't many places left, but there are some, and that's enough. As long as you can hear the words, there is hope. See you soon. All right, so Tucker Carlson teasing that wherever you can hear words, there is hope. In those few places where you can still hear Americans sharing the truth, which, of course, you can do right here on Westwood One and all the wonderful radio stations that we're on. And um, I think Tucker's on to something. The media has been weaponized against the citizenry. You've got the government weaponized against the the, the, we the people. And uh, it's not good. It's not good at all. Anyway, uh, the Heritage Foundation has sued the FBI. And we've got an update on that from the Oversight Project at the Heritage Foundation. Don't go anywhere. We're going to get into that right now. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. So uh, we're looking at this case here. Now, back in uh, March, the Heritage Foundation, their oversight project, um, had some reporting out where they, it it had surfaced that the girlfriend of a former FBI agent, uh, Tim Tebolt, 
uh, had some inside knowledge that the FBI would retaliate against whistleblowers who exposed her boyfriend's improper partisan activity. And uh, since then, there was a FOIA request filed by Heritage, and uh, the FBI's ignored it. So there was a lawsuit, and there's an update on that lawsuit that we're going to get to the bottom of. And our guest, Mike Howell, is director of the Oversight Project at the Heritage Foundation, and he's going to give us the scoop. Mike Howell, welcome. Hey, thank you for having me. Oh, Mike, it sounds like you're underwater in a submarine. Can you... Can we fix the phone line, guys? Maybe we could hear Mike Howell. All right. Well, anyway, to, to get, bring you up to speed, the, um, the, uh, the Mike has, if we can get him back on and he sounds legit, we will um, get some, some, some news on that. And ultimately what, what happens here is the, the suit centers around the FBI's alleged retaliation against whistleblowers who expose these FBI efforts to cover up the Hunter Biden laptop investigation right before the 2020 presidential election. And uh, obviously this is a big deal because this is something that was a non-issue. It was a non-real thing. If you looked at AP's fact checkers or who's the other one that does a lot of fact checking um, besides um, PolitiFact. And anyway, these people uh, all, they, they, they find one thing it, to to try to make it look like the entire thing is false when we know this is just not the case. And they really take your intelligence for granted when they do these things. So let's bring Mike Powell back in to get an update on what's going on. And first, let's get a little background on the case. Mike Powell. Howell, excuse me. Hey there. How are you doing? Sorry about Wonderful. that. They must not That's want us talking. That's the they're, deep they're state. They're messing with our phone lines, I'm sure. So <laughs> your intro was, was spot on, but let me add a little more flavor for folks out there. Because there's some yes, history. Sir. So the agent, the former agent, rather, that we're focused in on is one by the name of Tim Tebow. Okay, not the football player, the agent. <laughs> and he was you know, right. in the brass here in the D.C. area, high-level guy. He has been under the scrutiny of Senator Chuck Grassley out of Iowa for some time because it all started with a you know, series of partisan social media posts that uh, you know, raised some red flags for a lot of people that – Somebody in the FBI was, you know, this overtly leaning to the left and putting stuff out there, you know, without any, you know, regard for it. What developed over time was that this agent himself, you know, sat atop of some major lines of investigation that are of, you know, critical importance. I'm talking about the decision to open or close investigations or leads into either Trump or Hunter Biden. And so this is someone with, you know, decision making authority, you know, if these things sank or swim. And we all know how that worked out, which, you know, particularly with the Hunter Biden case, which we still have no resolution on. So Tim Tebow has, you know, since left the FBI. He was uh, he resigned after Chuck Grassley turned up the heat. And basically, you know, it was an embarrassing time for him and the FBI. Well, what has happened since is that a enterprising reporter, Greg Price, discovered that Tim Tebow's uh, girlfriend was using her Twitter account to basically post veiled threats, well, veiled's a strong word, a lot of them were pretty direct, uh, to mm. whistleblowers that were, wow. you know, presumably, if you read her, take her for a word, coordinating with Capitol Hill to get this information about the cases that were, or leads that were closed down. And so you have this Twitter account that's constantly weighing in on, you know, all of these FBI scandals in a, a very defensive manner towards Tim Tebow. And so Greg collected all of these, and we thought, holy smokes, does, you know, if the FBI knew this was happening, 
they're in on it. And so what we did is we, you know, sent a FOIA. This is what we're in the business of as investigators and litigators. And basically wanted to know, was this account on the FBI's radar? And were there any communications, you know, about it? Because if there were, and the FBI was aware of this retaliation and intimidation tactics going on, then by, and they didn't do anything about it, then they condoned it. And that's a pattern we've seen out of the FBI is they do not, you know, treat whistleblowers kindly whatsoever. And, and very often, uh, you know, whether it's through the media or through other private actors, you know, draw a, or, you know, cast a blind eye towards an activity, condoning uh, the intimidation of whistleblowers. It's a really big deal when you're talking about investigations of, you know, major import, whether it's lack of one to Hunter Biden or, you know, this constant unrelenting uh, Trump nonsense. And so what happened next was the FBI, you know, just standard FBI form got back to us right after we sued. We sued them last night, late last night. We got a letter in the mail today. And just I'll come back to that point later. But the FBI tells us they can neither confirm nor deny using national security language that uh, Mm -hmm. the FBI has any of these documents or emails. So they didn't say, no, we don't have any knowledge of this. No, we don't have any emails. They wrap this in the secrecy of their highest government secrets to say, we just can't tell you about that as if a Twitter account that's public, that's out there, that's engaging in this behavior, that's been reported on by major media, uh, is somehow a you know, sense of government secret. So what's that tell you and me? I think it tells, tells us that they're willing to use you know, these government transparency shields and swords to prevent us from getting this information out. So the spidey senses, they're going off. We're seeing red uh, alarms flashing right now. Wow. This is, uh, I mean, this is, a, this is a heck of a story. Uh, Mike Howell is director of the Oversight Project at the Heritage Foundation. And uh, and again, just to take us through this again. So we're talking about how there there was a whistleblower. The guy is now being uh, threatened and intimidated by by the by by a, a Twitter account uh, in. And like you said, in not very uh, thinly veiled uh, attempts to intimidate and. And here we are with Heritage saying, well, we want to see these documents and the FBI saying, well, we don't know if these documents exist. We can't say they do exist. We can't say they don't exist. Uh, we're, we're going to have to protect ourselves, um, you know, by saying uh, this is, uh, you know, sources, methods, et cetera, et cetera. And we can't get into that stuff. And 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 voila, that's how they, they bail themselves out of everything. Yep, it's it's Sound really right. ridiculous when you even zoom out to think about it. The FBI, they don't necessarily, you know, work for the director of the FBI. At the end of the day, they work for you and me. And one of the ways in which they're held accountable to you and I is through transparency laws. Okay, the the you and I have rights to request documents and get access to them. Unfortunately, the system is so broken that organizations like the FBI who think they're above the law will not in due course respond to those types of requests. They literally make you sue if you want to get anything in a reasonable time frame. And in addition to that, even when you do get on something and do sue, they try pretending like you know d- discovered a, a national security secret that they can't tell you. Mike Howell, let's hang out right there for a second. I want to hear the rest of what happened with your lawsuit. We're on with Mike Howell from Heritage Foundation discussing the breaking news on their lawsuit against the FBI uh, regarding this whistleblower retaliation. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked right here. It's America at Night with me, Rich Valdez. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez here with our guest, Mike Howell, director of the Oversight Project at the Heritage Foundation. We're discussing the FBI lawsuit that they filed uh, with respect to the retaliation on whistleblowers. And Mike Howell, we left off. You were giving us an update on, you said we had, uh, you'd, filed your lawsuit yesterday. You'd gotten a letter in the mail today and you left us hanging on a cliffhanger. Uh, cliffhanger. Go right ahead. Right. So what's called a Glomar response. That's fancy uh, government speak for when the FBI or other law enforcement agencies put up a shield and say, we can neither confirm nor deny. This is something that's reserved for deeply held government secrets. Okay. What we're talking about here is the FBI knowing about a public Twitter account perhaps being used as a sock puppet account by a senior former FBI official to target and intimidate whistleblowers. So this is a very unusual step for the FBI to invoke this sort of privilege. We're obviously going to sue over it and we're going to win, but uh, look, let's look what could be underneath that shield. And you only put mm-hmm. that up if you really need to. If the FBI knew of an intimidation campaign going on about whistleblowers and something that's involving an individual that's subject of Senator Charles Grassley, a senior, the senior most senator uh, in the Republican Party in the Senate, that is a massive deal, obstructing a Senate investigation into the FBI right now, while concurrently in the House of Representatives, you have the IRS targeting whistleblowers and people who come before the committee. You know, whether it's Matt Taibbi, the journalist who had this bombshell uh, reporting on the Twitter files. So what I think we're, we're seeing here is a pattern, a pattern of the FBI, you know, turtling up and using every tool at their disposal to try to hide from the obvious de-weaponization efforts that are occurring on Capitol Hill. This implicates major issues. We're talking about the failure to, you know, investigate and prosecute Hunter Biden. We're talking about, you know, six plus years of this rate of just investigation, an investigation into President Trump. We're talking about political interference. We're talking about the intelligence community and our federal law enforcement being weaponized against American citizens. And the cover-up is, you know, the crime there is pretty pretty bad. And the cover-up here is, is really bad, too. And so 
we look forward to our fair shake in court. Um, and we think if we get underneath these government uh, excuses, uh, we're going to have some, some very big story to tell, which will blow this thing open. So give us a little bit of a timeline here. So uh, we've got uh, Agent Tebold. He resigns. He's out of the FBI after he gets blasted by Senator Chuck Grassley uh, in a hearing. Then then you've got uh, his girlfriend making these these, uh, you know, swipes, taking swipes at at whistleblowers potentially on on Twitter. Uh, Then you guys uh, request uh, the FOIA and it gets ignored then you file a lawsuit. Um, what what what's followed since then? Right, it's the FBI is their response to our actions are in using one of the uh, most serious privileges the government can invoke in these types of lawsuits, saying that what's behind you know our refusal to turn it over are precious security secrets essentially that we can't tell you about. So it's you know a, a shield they're throwing up to protect themselves as much as possible. It's reserved for very specific circumstances. Obviously, in the case of a public Twitter account, it's hard to imagine what security secrets are under there. But let me just go into the middle of your timeline real quick as to why this underlying behavior is very problematic. It's not just that the girlfriend of a former FBI agent is, you know, going off on Twitter. It's that she is making use in public information that only the FBI would have. You know, information that otherwise would be considered a leak. Indications of meetings that occurred, actions that may happen, et cetera. So the FBI, keep in mind, you know, they raided Donald Trump's home over his handling of of materials. Yet if they were aware that their own materials were being made use of by this Twitter account on that was directionally aligned with their opposition to whistleblowers, that there is a massive deal that implicates the FBI in terms of uh, obstructing congressional investigations. Yeah, and, and that's, that's uh, I think, an interesting point uh, that really is, uh, it, it's, you know, disappointing but not surprising, I guess, is the way I, I, I'd characterize it. Because we've seen the FBI slow walk things in the past and, and pretend they don't see things. Uh, but th- this seems to be flying in the face of, of the elephant in the room, right? This is uh, we've got a president running for president. Everybody uh, on the other side of the aisle is saying, "But what about Hunter? What about Hunter?" And and it, it's getting a little traction. And as it starts to get traction, it starts to lose traction. And it's just remarkable that that's happening, um, especially in a time like this where we have leaks that came out of the Department of Defense. And it's just uh, it's an odd time in Washington. Uh, I would think. Would you agree? It's, it's absolutely an odd time. And if I may, just one more reason why this is really important sure. is that these congressional investigations, usually it's, you know, a series of letters back and forth, hearings and whatnot, government lawyers arguing, you know, with Capitol Hill lawyers. What changes the ball game and increases the leverage, legally speaking, and also politically and morally speaking, for Capitol Hill that puts these things into overdrive, gives them more access, is if the government is found to have lied about something key or acting in a way to obstruct the investigations. And this fact, if presented, uh, that the FBI is no or knew that whistleblower intimidation was occurring with information they should have protected and did nothing because they agreed with the direction of the intimidation, then it is a game changer on Capitol Hill for these purposes. There's also potential criminal liability afoot for this. It's not just administrative punishments. I mean, 
whistleblower intimidation and obstruction, you know, there are criminal components to these these types of charges. And so we're looking at a whole new ball game if Senator Grassley's efforts uh, you know, were being obstructed via base a sock puppet account essentially on Twitter that the FBI knew about. It's uh, it, everything changes. All right. Uh, Mike Howell, I want to get a, a a minute or two from you with respect to uh, everything else that you're working on in the oversight project, but we've got to take a quick pause right here. So stick with us. Folks, we're on with Mike Howell, director of the oversight project at the Heritage Foundation. Uh, we're talking about this FBI lawsuit because there's a retaliation against whistleblowers. Very big deal. And I think he's eloquently spelled it out for us. There is more to come straight ahead. Plus your calls, 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Well, thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez here with our guest, Mike Howell. Mike is the uh, director of the Oversight Project at the Heritage Foundation, and uh, we've been talking about this, this uh, the breaking news on their lawsuit against the FBI regarding a FOIA request, which the FBI is now uh, obfuscating from, citing national security concerns and whatnot. Uh, but Mike Howell, let everybody know uh, a little bit m- about the other work you're doing at the Oversight Project. Absolutely. So the Oversight Project is essentially an anti-corruption team focused on de-weaponizing the federal government through aggressive investigations, a world-class investigations team backed up with a litigation factory. The unfortunate reality is you got to sue to get stuff out of the government. And so you need, you need time people and, and money to do that. And so that's what we, we do. We have lines of inquiry and open, open cases and lawsuits across the departments of the government, foreign and domestic. Every controversy of the day, you can imagine where we're diving into. There's particular areas of interest and prioritization to include the FBI, because that's the people with the guns who can put handcuffs on you and really ruin your day. And they're the ones most out of control. And so we have at least eight lawsuits against them right now. Also the Department of Homeland Security, what they've done to our border is unconscionable and they did it on purpose. We've already gotten some goods on them, particularly one finding where Secretary Mayorkas lied to the entire country when he blamed Border Patrol agents for whipping illegal aliens, never happened. We got the emails to prove it. Uh, it's part of the impeachment articles that have been filed against him. Uh, but it's across the board, uh, whether it's, you know, Elizabeth Warren prescripting her questions with the uh, SEC commissioner before a hearing. She just did this whole theater deal where she pretended to be asking them questions in real time. No, she scripted it and they read off a script when it came to regulating crypto. It's, we're exposing the fraudsters, and that's the, the business we're in. Outstanding work that you're doing there. Now, if people want to uh, continue to follow what you're doing and uh, support the work, how do, is there a website? Is there a social media account? How do they follow you and keep up to speed with what you're doing? Absolutely. At Oversight PR, like Puerto Rico, uh, those, hmm. that's, you know, Oversight Project. You can't fit all the letters in. But at Oversight PR, that's where we post our findings our lawsuits and all of their content. Please give us a follow. 
outstanding. Well, I'm hoping that you'll keep us up to speed on what's going on because I want to keep uh, our finger on the pulse of this one. Uh, it sounds like there might be some promise to it, and uh, I'd, I'd love nothing more than to, to see you guys humiliate uh, the uh, the government gangsters, if you will, that are <laughs> you know weaponizing the government against we the people. I think that's got to stop, and I'm grateful for the work you're doing, Mike Howell. Thank you, sir. You bet. All right, folks, there is more to come straight ahead, your calls and more. Plus, uh, we're going to get into a little bit about what Congressman Swalwell said. Uh, He was in a hearing today and got into it, and uh, you're going to be surprised at what he said. Uh, It seems that he's very upset with a a particular congressman you've heard on this program before, Troy Nels. Uh, Congressman Nels uh, pulled his card and... uh, he wasn't happy in the least. So we're going to get into that. We're also going to talk about a couple of other uh, items that are on the agenda here. The Pentagon has suspended the leaders of the unit uh, that leaked the Ukrainian document information. Uh, that happened. Uh, we also have President Biden. Yes, good old Joe El Baboso Biden. Uh, he's been spotted with a cheat sheet during a press conference that literally says Y-O-U as the first thing on the actual little palm card, letting him know that he, you, (laughs) is an actual part of the meeting. So uh, definitely uh, you want to weigh in on that one and you want to hear that story because that's just funny. You got to see the picture. I'll put that out on social media as well, at Rich Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez. And of course, um, all of the interviews tonight and all of the interviews last night, anything you may have missed, including Open Phone America, which we do in the third hour of this program, All of that can be found archived where you could listen to it on demand, whether streaming from the website, you could listen to it live from the website, or you can uh, subscribe through your podcast provider of choice right through the website. And I know you're thinking, what website is it, Rich? I'll tell you. It's richvaldezamericaatnight.com, richvaldezamericaatnight.com. It's where you go for all things this program. You could hear all the guests. You could listen to it. You could share it. You could text it to a friend and say, hey, listen, check this out when you get a chance. And uh, we've had some really good interviews, and uh, we have a lot more scheduled to come. So keep it locked right here. Don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. We are just getting started. There's a lot more to come. And again, your calls, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, welcome back. And uh, you've got Congressman Eric Swalwell, who um, was, uh, he got a little perturbed today. Now, you know Swalwell, he's the one that uh, had the, um, I guess the, it's believed that he's had a relationship with a Chinese spy named Fang Fang. So uh, Eric Swalwell, Democrat from California, and Troy Nels, a Republican from Texas, were we're going at it today in this really uh, fiery hearing on the illegal immigration crisis at the border, in particular with respect to children. And 
Um, Congressman Nels made comments about Swalwell's checkered past <laughs> after the congressman uh, was, you know, grilling GOP witnesses about their activities on January 6th. So in this hearing, uh, known as the Biden border crisis, exploitation of unaccompanied alien children, this was um, held by the House Judiciary Subcommittee on Immigration, Integrity, Security and Enforcement. So this follows a series of reports of how many in the hundreds of thousands of unaccompanied immigrant children have been exploited and forced into uh, the forced labor market. Uh, So slavery, if you will. And Swalwell decided to divert from the topic to start grilling one of the witnesses about her activities on January 6th, obviously playing politics with it. And again, it's Washington and it's politicians and they're going to do what they do. But this seemed a little bit um, off color. So uh, after this uh, intensive series of questions, Swalwell's time expired and Nels apologized to the witness for his colleagues, you know, questioning and saying, you're here for a hearing on the border and they don't want to talk about the border. Mr. Swalwell is down there. Obviously, everybody knows he's made some comments. He's got a checkered past. He said (laughs) Swalwell fired back and said, I'm sorry, a checkered past. And uh, Nels said, it's my time. And, you know, alleged affairs, relationships with yum, yum. This is so funny. And, and, and he goes, no, 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 you don't get to say that. And he curses. Listen to this. Uh, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Ms. Rodriguez, I apologize that you had to. You're here for a hearing on the border. They don't want to talk about a border. Uh, Mr. Swalwell is down there. Obviously, everybody knows he's made some comments. He's got a, a checkered past. He's alleged I'm sorry, relationships. I'm checkered past. Alleged, I would ask. It's my time. Mr. Alleged affairs, relationships with Yum Yum. No, 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 yum yum. You don't get to say that. That's he not he had alleged relationships and with Yum Yum. He asked the, gen- oh, I asked no, the gentleman's no, no, words no, no, be taken no, no. down. You don't get to say Mr. that. Chairman, no. yes, the gentleman's the gentleman's words be taken down. It's casting a slur on another member. That's so funny. Anyway, uh, Nels was uh, referring to Christine Fang or Fang Fang, a suspected Chinese spy. In 2020, it was reported that Fang had allegedly targeted a number of Bay Area Democrats, including Swalwell, and interacted with him, including helping place an intern in his office before he was alerted by the FBI of Fang's behavior in 2015. At that point, he immediately cut off contact with her and has not been accused of any wrongdoing, take two, wrongdoing, according to Axios. Uh, What he's been accused of, though, is being in a relationship with her at that time. And um, this is the part, I guess, he's, you know, he's denied, uh, but there's, you know, some um, belief to the contrary. So uh, Swalwell told uh, some of our favorite people on The View uh, back in January that he handled the, st- the situation properly saying first and foremost, and you don't have to take my word for it. Take the FBI's word for it. When they told me who she was, I did everything that I hoped everyone else would do, which was cooperate and help the FBI. She was removed. And that was that, right? That's what Swalwell said. Um, and he goes on to defend himself and he, he's been blasted by the likes of Donald Trump, Marjorie Taylor Greene and so many others. But that's where good old Eric Swalwell landed on this. So I don't know what say you, right? You, I, I, I have a feeling 
that there's a little bit more to this than meets the eye. Swalwell's not the most, um, I don't want to say believable, but I will, believable member of Congress. Strikes me as a little um, a little disingenuous from time to time. I feel like <clears throat> that's the sense that I get. I could be wrong, you know. I don't, I don't uh, purport to be an expert on judging characters. However, um, I play one on the radio. Anyway, that's the story on that. Also, I want to talk about the drawing a blank here. I want to get into this um, story that I, th- I think I mentioned to you yesterday. This is a good one. So somebody walks in to apply for a job. They go to their the receptionist, and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm here to see whoever and whatever. And uh, unbeknownst to them, their interaction was rude. What happens? The receptionist is really like undercover boss and... It doesn't go. Uh, it doesn't go uphill from there. Anyway, we're going to talk about that with uh, Casey Haston coming up. So don't move a muscle. Keep it locked right here. Your calls and more. Eight three three four Valdez. There's more America at night right after this. America starts the day with America in the morning. Pending home sales numbers, they tanked in April, but there are. Hi, I'm John Trout, your host for the latest news, politics, entertainment, business, and weather. Octane action in the dust, a new film puts. Our staff of correspondents provide a fast paced look at the world with specialized reports from where news happens. It's a bird, it's a plane, it's Amazon. Concise, accurate, and fresh each day. America in the morning, the podcast, available wherever you listen. Are you into weird, spooky, and strange history? Horrifying History tells you about the side of history that people don't normally talk about. We tell the tales of haunted places, infamous true crimes, unsolved mysteries, the paranormal, and then we look to history to see where the truth actually lies. Want to get spooky with us? Horrifying History, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez. Today's hump day. It's Wednesday. Welcome to the program. If you want to join us and be part of the show, 833-482-5337-833, the number four, Valdez. That is Valdez with an S, just like social media at Rich Valdez with an S. You can chime in there if you don't want to give us a call. And um, a few things happening today, right? Obviously, uh, some of the big headlines here. Uh, Joe Biden's running for president. We knew that one. And he's uh, launched a million-dollar campaign in six battleground states. Uh, We also have the House of Representatives narrowly passing the debt ceiling package on a vote that they had earlier. The yeas are 217, the nays are 215, the bill is passed. So now, while the bill is passed, uh, the 
the reality of raising the debt ceiling is something that we don't have as Americans, right? We don't really get to say, look, um, I'm going to increase my credit card limit because, you know, I, w- I want to go and <laughs> spend more money. Um, if you if you've got the credit line to do it, you can do it. If not, you don't. And there's many companies right now that are facing that reality. CNBC is reporting that Amazon just started laying uh, laying people off, starting with their HR department and some of their cloud units. And uh, these are big, big layoffs. Uh, You've also got Disney. I think there are 9,000 people they're laying off. So there's lots of layoffs happening. And there's also people that are looking for jobs. And and the tech sector remains one of those areas where they're still bringing people in despite the craziness that we've seen in Silicon Valley. But what happens when you go to a job interview and uh, you're – you know, you're not on your best behavior with everybody, right? You're super nice to the recruiter. You're super nice to HR. You're super nice to the hiring manager, but you may not be so nice or you might take for granted some of the staff that's there, like in the lobby, uh, the receptionist, maybe a janitor or a porter on your way in. And, uh, you know, when I was a kid, it was, it was always said that you treat everybody with the same level of respect, including the janitor. And I think that's, there's something to be said for that. It's a goal that we should have and and, and we should live by. And um, Casey Haston is a corporate recruiter and she's director of uh, recruiting with a VIP executive search firm. And she's with us because there's a story that I heard that uh, in the Daily Mail. And this was a great thing because the person who was applying for the job was rude to somebody, not knowing who the person he was being rude to really was. Uh, Casey Haston, I hope I'm saying that right. Welcome to the show. You are saying it absolutely correct, and thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here tonight. Thank you. It's a pleasure. So I, I want to talk about this story with you and, and of course, get, you know, give the listeners some tips on what's going on. Uh, but um, uh, Daily Mail has this story. It says a uh, man fails job interview in five minutes by being rude to the receptionist. Parenthetical statement that follows who was secretly the recruitment manager. Uh, so this was a story that was revealed on Reddit and the um, by the mystery employee at the firm. And the candidate was told the interview was over and he was not a good fit. He'd been dismissive to the receptionist and barely made any eye contact. And I guess the question now is, uh, can people expect for their company to actually use these type of sly interview tactics? You know, I wouldn't say that these are necessarily sly interview tactics. And I want to go a step further. I'm going to say that your interview starts the moment you enter the parking lot. And it can even go back further than that. And I'm going to tell you a story here in a second. It can go back a decade. It is a small world after all. Okay. Oh, yeah. I'm going to prove my point. But one incident that comes to mind in particular, and when I coach my candidates before they go for interviews, um, I always say, look, you be your best when you step out of that car. You have your tie on. If you're a male, you have your dress fixed, your jacket on. Do not get there and start dressing, putting on lipstick and all that kind of stuff. And here's why. Because you never know who's watching out those windows. And I had one incident, and, and the candidate ended up not getting the job, and I'm not really sure what he was doing. But when he got out of his car, he started looking in other cars. And the CFO saw him doing that, and he was like, done. That's not okay, you know? Right. And so I I say your interview in any relationship, whether you're just going to meet with a company for, you know, to maybe get their business 
or whether you're going for a job interview, it begins way far back. And so you should always be on your best behavior. And so if I might, I've got another quick little story. Can I share that with you? Yeah, please. So go back about 15 years ago. And this is a personal story. And this is back before I switched careers and I was working um, as a controller for a small manufacturing company. And, um, and I had to I process payroll and I had one 10, 1099 employee who submitted expenses. And he was always getting his expenses to me late. And the gentleman that I worked for was very particular about, you shall have those paychecks on my desk by this time. And so it was a real stressor for me. And this gentleman, this, this, the uh, contractor, had a dog that he would bring with him to the office all the time. And so I finally figured out, well, this guy likes biscuits and gravy. So Grandy's stopped by there on Fridays when he's supposed to turn in his expense reports. And I always had dog biscuits on my desk for his dog. Hmm. Okay, this may not sound important, but let's fast forward to about 15 or no, probably about 10 years later, and I'm switching careers. I'm going completely different. I'm going from accounting to sales, doing recruiting, right? And I get the job in recruiting, and it was a big, big leap of faith on their part, okay? And about three months in, I guess my boss, my hiring manager, decided she was going to keep me. She shared a story with me, and she goes, hey, do you remember that guy that – you used to work with that had the dog at this company XYZ. And I'm like, yeah, how did you know him? Remember, we're going back 15 years with this guy, right? She goes, Mm -hmm. that's my dad. (laughs) And I called him when you applied for the job and asked him if I should hire you. And he said, I'd be an idiot if I didn't. Look at that. That's why I say it can go back decades. Well, and I, I agree with that. I mean, that's what one's reputation is all about. And, and, and I think being in radio, what I've learned is whatever you say, you just got to own it. You know, whether it was nice, whether it was not nice, whether it was this or that, it, it is what it is. And, uh, and you've just got to own it and, and you've got to make right with it. You know, whether if, if there's an apology involved, great. If there's not, there's not. But uh, you, you can't pretend it didn't happen, right? And I, I think ultimately that, that's what you're talking about, right? You can't pretend that you weren't not nice to that guy because you were nice to that guy. And that's exactly what you had to do. So in, in a situation like this, um, and I guess I really, uh, I'm fascinated by the story because I didn't know that people did that. I know people looked and people talked and all that, but I didn't know that hiring managers would go and double as a receptionist. What's your experience with that? And is that a very common practice? It's not very common, but what is common is that the hiring manager will ask the receptionist or the person mm-hmm. attending the front desk, their opinion. How did this person interact with you when they came in? And so, I mean, I don't think we typically see hiring managers that will, you know, pose as the receptionist, but you should, it, but if they do and they want to see how you're treating them, you should always be your authentic self and, you know, smile at everybody there. But on the flip side, if you're not that type of person who's nice to everybody naturally, then good on them for catching you. Right. Now, some of the things that these um, these these tactics that some are going to say are sneaky uh, that companies might employ are are things like, you know, during the interview, a, a question that has no answer. Um, the, like you just mentioned, these undercover observations from others in, in the organization uh, and other things. So I want to get into those uh, momentarily. But first, I want to remind everybody uh, who we're on with. We're on with Casey Haston. She's a corporate recruiter, director of recruiting with a VIP executive search firm. 
and we're going to continue with her straight ahead. Don't go anywhere, plus your calls, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We're going to go to Keith in Cumberland, Maryland on WCBC. Uh, You're on with uh, our guest, Casey Haston and Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Yeah, um, I was just uh, saying um, to your call screener there that I have a story kind of after you're hired what not to do. Um, My mother had a tax business. And uh, her friend had her friend do her hiring for her. And the uh, girl that was hired came in, and her desk happened to be next to my mother's. And she came in, sat down, threw her feet up on the desk, and said, I hope she doesn't expect me to do much today. I had a pretty rough night. So uh, my mother got up and walked out, got with her friend that hired her, told her what was going on. And when she came back, said, uh, you know, thank you, but uh, we don't need you. You can go home, clock out, and go home. She said, why? Because you just told my boss that you weren't going to do anything. <laughs> yeah, you definitely don't want to get caught with your pants down that way. Thank you, Keith. I appreciate it. Casey Haston, it kind of goes back to the story that you told us uh, about being good to people uh, in the same way. If you if you act up, it, it could get back to the wrong person as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and, and I want to point out one other thing, too, kind of to what the gentleman just talked about. You know, it you've got to show up authentically when you show up to interview. Obviously, that person did something to convince them that she was something other than she was. And I had this happen last year where this candidate showed up. She said all the right things about wanting to work, wanting to be there, wanting to learn. And about a month in, her attitude completely changed. Like she, if it was five o'clock and they were in a meeting, she would get up and walk out. She was absolutely throwing a fit about having to be on site for training. Um, and then she was going to go hybrid, but she was like, I don't need to be here. And she just turned into a real child and they ended up having to let her go. And that's not who showed up for the interview, but that's who eventually came out because you can't hide your true nature. Yeah. So what's your advice to someone like that? to be a child from the beginning so they don't get the job or to try and get a couple of weeks worth of a paycheck and then show your true colors? Therapy, honestly. <laughs> More self-awareness, no, don't right? Don't act like a child, yeah. <laughs> That's a good piece of advice. Now, uh, what are some of the, uh, I guess, the best uh, practices or best pieces of advice you would offer somebody that's uh, on the job market right now? Um, I would... Absolutely um, recommend somebody to get a certified resume writer. It makes all the difference in the world. That is an actual certification. They go to school for that. And they, and especially if you're making a change in your career, because they can highlight those talents that may not be so readily obvious and tell a story about why you would be a fit for this role that you're trying to transition into. So certified resume writer, number one, LinkedIn profile, get it cleaned up. 
you've got to optimize it because that's how most hiring managers are finding their candidates these days. That's how recruiters find people. I live on LinkedIn. So well, when LinkedIn, you say get it cleaned up, what do you mean? Like, are there certain things they should have, uh, certain, certain don'ts? Absolutely. Don't have a profile picture in a bathing suit. Yeah, I've seen that. I would agree with that on LinkedIn. Leave that it's for LinkedIn. Instagram. <laughs> right. Professional headshot, please. Have, have a um, about me section t- talking a little bit about, you know, you personally, professionally, what your goals are. Um, make sure. Oh, this is something I see a lot. Make sure that your LinkedIn profile matches your resume. Okay, because if you if you have a job left off on LinkedIn that's on your resume or vice versa, that raises red flags with me. I'm like, if you're not being honest about this, what else are you not going to be honest about? And make All sure right, your right. timeline. In worst case, match. you're just sloppy about it. Yeah, but you can't be sloppy because it raises red flags. That's that's a right. red flag in and of itself. You know, if you don't exactly. pay attention to detail, that's another thing. Please make sure you don't have typos on your LinkedIn. Yeah, and I think in a, in a, in a hyper connected world that we live in now. LinkedIn is probably, uh, you know, where everything is going down. And uh, you, you do want to have that sure. lined up. Say again? I said, as, as far as the business world, for sure. LinkedIn is where it's at. So if somebody's out there, um, and I think there's a lot of people like that that are looking to, to, to make that career change. You're saying hire a resume writer and you're inviting them to tighten up their, their LinkedIn um, what are some um, common mishaps besides typos and, and, and bad photos that you see out there? Um, not paying attention to your social posts. And that was the third thing I was going to say is you've really got to make sure that the person you're portraying, and I don't care if it's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, that this is the person that you want your potential hiring manager to see. And I can give you a perfect story about this. I had um, a candidate one time that had gone for all her job interviews, went great. She was going to get an offer, and then I get the dreaded call from the hiring manager. I'm like, we're going to rescind the offer. And I'm like, why? I thought everything was so great. And they're like, yeah, we just went through her Twitter. And what she had done, she was not happy at her current company, and she was blasting her current very negatively on Twitter. And her potential new company saw that, and they're like, we're not bringing that into that toxicity into our company. We don't need that. No, she can stay there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think, listen, um, you know, I'm in a business where I say lots of things that are sometimes bombastic, sometimes whatever provocative. Um, but I realize that I'm in this business and I, I you know, I, I use Twitter for that reason. And I, and I always think to myself, you know, there's very little chance I'll ever go into corporate America after having a job like this one because, you know, the things you say. And, and I tell people, you know, if you're not planning on being in, in the public life forever, uh, don't say that on Twitter. You know, don't, don't put that out there because it's going to come back to bite you. Uh, I, I agree with you on that one. That's not a, that's not a good look. And you don't want to trash people that way unless, you know, you want to stand by it forever. And that's what I was saying earlier. You know, I've learned in this business, whatever you say, you get, you, you've said it and that's that. It, you you got to own it and you got to stick with it. And in this woman's situation, she's getting uh, that rescission letter, uh, which which stinks. Now, um, in terms of uh, the overall job market, do you find yourself busier lately or less busy? Are you getting more clients' jobs or less clients' jobs? Um, how does that match up with what you're hearing in the news? So I can tell you from boots on the ground, we are still hopping busy. It's 
you know, and clients are still having a very difficult time finding that top talent and keeping that top talent because, you know, you may stretch your salary for this candidate, but then company B is going to say, but we've got more money than you. We'll give you more. Come over here. And so we're seeing, you know, used to when I first started recruiting, if you weren't at a job at least three years, I wasn't even going to call you because you were considered a job hopper. Now, yeah. if you've been there eight months, hallelujah, I'm calling you, you know, <laughs> right. because that's everybody's the, a job that's the market. Yeah, it's and it's not their fault. It's the company's fault that are enticing them and luring them away so quickly. I mean, and they're throwing tons of money. I've seen I have seen life changing increases in salary when people make a move. And this, again, is based on uh, a lack of talent? Yeah, it's the talent pool is really, really tight. So when I engage with a candidate that is looking to make a move, I typically have about 24 to 48 hours to work with that candidate before they're going to get a job offer. Wow. And the music means they're kicking us out. But let us let everybody that's listening know how they could find you and uh, keep up to speed with what you're doing. Absolutely. Uh, best way to find me is LinkedIn. I'm all over LinkedIn. It's Casey Haston. I should pop up pretty easy, but if you want to go to CaseyHaston.com, that'll take you to all my channels. Excellent. Casey Haston, thank you for being with us. I appreciate it. Godspeed to you. Folks, stick around. More to come straight ahead. Foreign policy and more right now. America, welcome back. We're going to talk about uh, Sudan and some foreign policy matters uh, straight ahead. I just wanted to quickly um, discuss what's going on um, with the debt ceiling bill uh, that we saw today. And we have uh, a clip of President Biden at a press conference at the White House today, the one where he was using the little cards. And we'll talk about the little cards as well, because I thought that was pretty funny. Um, But he um, he's discussing with reporters. how it would have been a crime to not extend the debt limit. Imagine that. I guess when you're a Democrat, that's what it really ultimately becomes, a crime to not spend more money. Republicans say you're refusing to negotiate on the debt limit. They're saying you're missing an action. Will you negotiate? They haven't figured out the debt limit yet. Are you missing an action? I'm an inflation, Mr. President. on the debt limit. Will you meet with McCarthy? When can America McCarthy, but not on whether or not the debt limit gets extended. That's not negotiable. I notice they quote Reagan and they quote they quote Reagan all the time and they quote Trump. Both of which said it says I'm paraphrasing, it would be an absolute crime to not extend the debt limit. All right. So it's an absolute crime, he says. It's an absolute crime to not extend the debt ceiling. That is a Joe El Baboso Biden. Now, here's uh, some of the particulars on this. And again, this did happen. Uh, uh, There is um, earlier today, there was a vote that we uh, we heard and um, they they passed the debt ceiling proposal, uh, pretty much a party line vote. 217 to 215, with just four Republicans voting against the measure. 
the passage came after, you know, all the meetings in the world, you know, the same thing as usual. They knew they were going to do it, but they had to figure out, you know, what am I going to get? How are we going to get it? How are we going to do it? Uh, trying to craft this legislation to give McCarthy as much leverage as he could get, trying to make this deal with Biden and the Democrats. So um, he signs, uh, he, excuse me, McCarthy um, signs off on it. And uh, Republicans just passed the only bill in Washington to lift the debt ceiling. And according to um, <clears throat> the um, the Washington Examiner, they're saying that this is the only bill that will end wasteful Washington spending and put America back on the right economic path uh, where we can uh, limit the the growth in the future and by pulling back. Uh, and this is what McCarthy said after the bill passed. Um, I think we have a clip of McCarthy, right? Let's let's. Let's do the clip from McCarthy um, on on the debt ceiling. Cut one. Listen to this bill is going to help face our challenges here at home. It sends a clear message to the American people that we're investing in safety, health and the future of Americans. Let me just mention a couple of highlights, starting with community safety. We know it works to make our communities safer and that investing in prevention and community police officers so you can walk the streets, know the neighbors, and who can help restore trust and safety to our community. That was President Joe Biden, March 15, 2022. What was he referring to? The funding levels that we had just four months ago. That's exactly where we'll be. I don't know where the comments that he's making, but this week we will pass a bill on this floor that will lift the debt ceiling, something the Senate has not done, something the President has not negotiated, and send it over to the Senate. Because we think this is a responsibility. So there's McCarthy. And look, I got to say, it, it is what it is, right? I uh, I wish that, that this wouldn't have happened. I wish that we weren't raising the debt ceiling. I wish we would have had a little bit of a fight on our hands uh, because I don't think that this is what we need. America doesn't need more spending and more borrowing to make America better. Uh, what America needs to do is stop spending. Uh, but again, that's just my take. You know, I don't know. I'd love to get your take on it. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Uh, but others have weighed in on this, right? We've got um, McCarthy and Biden that we've heard from, uh, but the director of the Office of Management and Budget uh, had some comments on this. Uh, Representative James Clyburn also had some comments on this. Um, I want you to listen to the uh, the audio here we have from James Clyburn, because I think Clyburn now is interesting, right? Uh, again, it, it's almost as if tax and spend is the only way to make things work in America. Check this out. Well, you know, I do believe uh, that this country uh, is worth every bit of the effort. Uh, all of its people uh, put into it. And we try to do the things that are necessary to keep our pursuit of a more perfect union on track. And that's all we were trying to do back in uh, 2020. The country had gotten off track. We were visited by a pandemic, which was the worst health care crisis we had had in 100 years. And we needed leadership. And we were not getting it. People were dying. Children home from school. People couldn't get to work. We wanted leadership 
uh, the previous administration was not providing it. And I saw in Joe Biden what over 7 million more Americans uh, saw in him uh, than saw the incontinuance of the other regime. And here we are today. Uh, our country is back on mm. track. Our children are back in school. People are working. The economy is humming along. Infrastructure is being built. Broadband is being delivered. We have rescued this economy. Uh, our veterans are now back being taken care of. Joe Biden has put us to where we need to be. And I think we need to keep it going. So, uh, again, this I wanted I was going to interrupt him because I really couldn't stomach too much more of it. Uh, but I wanted you to hear it all because fascinating, right? Because uh, the previous regime, the continuance of the previous regime, the continuance of the previous regime. I would love a continuance of the previous regime. I think so would you. So would your 401k. So would the the employment numbers. So would um, uh, the average annual household income that was up like 6,500 bucks. Um, I, I can't think of anybody who, who wouldn't want a continuance of the previous regime, you know, uh, unless you, you're allergic to a healthy economy and no new wars, right? But that that is what they're, they're saying. And he's, you know, basically making the case that uh, thank God for Joe Biden. Thank God that Joe Biden is... Um, putting us back on track and rescuing the economy. Thanks to Joe Biden. I mean, this couldn't be any further from the truth, at least in my opinion, I think this is absolutely out of uh, control, but that's where it is. Now, again, this is the same Joe Biden who shows up to the press conference with a little note card. And again, who doesn't use note cards when they are giving a speech? Everybody uses note cards, but his reminds him that he's a participant in the press conference. You can't, you can't, you just can't make that one up. Anyway, uh, more on this and uh, Joe Biden's note cards. Uh, plus, we're still going to get to a little bit of foreign policy before the uh, before we get into open phone America. But we're going to take your calls on this and the other topics. 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. So we've got um, Joy Reid. Now, you know, Joy Reid is one of my uh, my favorites on MSNBC. She's aces. She is terrific. And uh, she says the question for 2024 voters is, do you want Biden's super exciting competency or chaos? Listen to this. On some level, elected Republicans know that what I'm saying is true. They know that their vision of America isn't real and that most people do not want to live the way they want us to. You know, I know that. You know what their tell is? They keep silencing dissent. They keep making it harder and harder to vote. And they keep gerrymandering their way to power. The question for voters in 2024, it seems to me, is do you want maybe not super exciting competency or do you want chaos? Choose your adventure. I got to tell you, 
I'm going to go with the chaos because I feel like we're in chaos already. And if this is what she calls super exciting competency, like, is she doing this tongue in cheek to be funny, to get everybody to go super exciting competency? Like, is she out of her mind? Joe Biden is what she's calling super exciting competency. I mean, come on. This to me is one of the funniest things I've heard in a long time. Funny and incredulous, I feel, at the same time. Super exciting competency. Then she says Republicans are silencing dissent. If she means Republicans like Rupert Murdoch uh, silencing the dissent of Tucker Carlson, then maybe she's onto something. But outside of that, I don't think that's the case. Right? I mean, it, is it Republicans that were censoring Newsmax when they took them off and tried to deplatform them? Is it Republicans that are censoring One American News that used to be on Verizon Fios and isn't anymore? Is it uh, Republicans that um, wouldn't allow Republicans to pick who they wanted to be on the January 6th committee? No, right? It was Democrats doing all of these things. So, you know, I find it remarkable that they call Joe Biden the super exciting competency. And I guess they're referring to Trump as chaos. Wow. Now, If that is what super exciting competency is, why on earth does Biden need a cheat sheet to remind him of who he is? Y-O-U in all capital letters. I'm going to put this one on Twitter right now so that you could take a look at it. And I'm sure you've seen this picture already if you're on social media. It's been floating around uh, most of the day here. But, oh, my goodness. This is Joe Biden. He's got palm cards, little index cards that tell him which reporter to call on. And the question, right? This one says question one. I can't see that full name, but it looks like it says Courtney Cerberamian. Probably said that wrong. Los Angeles Times. And gives the um, foreign policy semiconductor manufacturing. And here's the question. How are you? So the question's already there, scripted out for Joe Biden with the reporter's face on the little card. And again, it's not the first time we've seen this. But it's, it's definitely uh, another time that we've seen it. It's happening again right now. And this is the cheat sheet that was being held by President Biden during the press conference earlier today that where, uh, you know, again, he's 80 years old. And again, I've seen people that are very sharp in their 80s. Uh, to me, uh, this has never been an issue of age. I think Reagan was forgetful and old and still a great president. And, of course, I say that and my social media will will undoubtedly now have comments about people. He brought crack cocaine to New York City. Reagan did this. and Please stop. Just stop. Anyway, um, the, the, the question becomes, is Biden and his cheat sheets knowing in advance the knowledge of each journalist question that he calls on? Which, again, I, the only reason I'm bringing this up is because the what they called the previous regime, what they called the chaos. They would send him out into that, that den of vipers every day, and they would start with every question, every gotcha they could on President Trump, and everybody's seen that. I don't care what party you're with. You've seen Trump handle the media. You're fake news, right? He went after them the way they went after him. Biden doesn't need to do that because the whole thing is scripted. Unbelievable. One of them says, how are you squaring your priorities? The you and your are all caps. Like reshoring semiconductor manufacturing. 
with uh, alliance-based foreign policy? That was one of the questions submitted by Courtney Submarian or Submarinian or some other version of that that I'm messing up. And the revelation came during this uh, press conference with the uh, South Korean president, Yoon Suk-yeol, that discussed growing nuclear threats from North Korea. And we've got some audio on that as well as they celebrated the uh, 70th anniversary of the um, alliance between the United States and South Korea. Now, on another cheat sheet, it had the names of the Biden administration officials that were going to offer remarks at the press conference. Not the least of them started with him saying, why OU? So I just find that uh, remarkable. Uh, I really do. And I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Um, when we come back straight ahead, give us a call. 833-482-5337. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, get ready because straight ahead, it's hour number three of the program, and we're going to have the open phones segment in every segment of the hour like we usually do as per tradition on this program. And the phone number, of course, 833-4-VALDEZ. But we're going to start right now, kick it off with our buddy Stephen. He's in Hotlanta, WGKA. Go right ahead. Hey, Valdez, thanks for taking my call. Yes, sir. Uh, Do you remember uh, Hank Johnson? Uh, Unfortunately, he's one of those guys in Atlanta who who are old and just beautiful, and so we keep voting for him over and over again. Not me, but lots of people. Hank Johnson, Mm. he said... Doesn't ring a bell. What did he say? um, in, in, In a congressional testimony... Uh, he was one of uh, of the uh, people involved, and he said that he was concerned that Guam might tip over uh, if they built up the, uh, the military compound on one side of the island. He was afraid <laughs> it would tip over. And then an admiral had to actually say to this man, you know, no, sir. I don't think it's going to tip over. That's not a concern. And so that is what uh, Clyburn, that's that guy. It's the same guy, different state. (laughs) That's Clyburn. Okay. Same guy. Yeah. And uh, what what was the term? We just learned a new term, Steve. Uh, Hold on. I'll give it to you. The term that we just learned was, hold on. Don't go anywhere. Um, All right. Mr. Hinton, what was the term that we just learned for Joe Biden? What kind of competency was it? Super exciting competency. <laughs> so so do you feel that uh, uh, Representative Clyburn was showing his super exciting competency here, Steve? Yes. 
Yeah. Yeah. You're right. <laughs> I think you're right. Uh, super exciting. Super right. exciting. That's what, okay. That's what Joy Reid called it. She called it super exciting competency. <laughs> I'm not going to let her live that down. I'm going to use that until Joe Biden is, uh, uh, until election day, super exciting competency versus chaos. I think a lot of Americans are going to vote for chaos because the super exciting competency is very expensive, right? You know, the other day I went to put some gas in my truck and again, I, I do that all the time and I expected it to be like 80 bucks and it was 106. And I thought, wow, this isn't going good. You know, I mean, thankfully, uh, I had the extra 26 bucks that I could afford, you know, the, from 80 to, but there, there've been points in my life where that would have been a deal breaker for me. I would be like, Oh, hold on a second. I don't want to spend $106. I don't think I can spend $106. And I know there's a lot of Americans in that boat as we face inflation. So, uh, yeah, I think your, your juxtaposition, uh, between, uh, your, the Georgia politician and Mr. Clyburn, and I'm going to bring that juxtaposition over to uh, Mr. President Biden and say that uh, I think we need to collectively reject this um, exciting competency. Anyway, uh, Steve, thanks for the call. Your calls and more straight ahead. We're going to do Open Phone America. Lots on the table to discuss, plus your calls, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere because Open Phone America starts right now. that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? Hour number three, this is, or was, the Wednesday night edition. I guess, you know, it's always technically, by this time, 12.07 a.m., it's Thursday morning, but I'm just not one of those guys that likes to acknowledge that it's morning, because it's late at night for me, right? I'm going to go to sleep after this, and (laughs) this is not good morning, this is not buenos dias, this is buenas noches. Anyway, Welcome to the show, me, Rich Valdez. The phone number, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. You're always welcome to call on the legacy line, 866-50-JIMBO. That's always going to be there. And uh, I welcome your calls. I see that there's calls coming in. We're going to give you a chance to load up the call board. There's a couple of open lines. Feel free to get in on it. And a few things that I want to talk about, right? There's a bunch of things here. I opened up an article that I wanted to share with you. There was... um, the story from before that I wanted to talk about, um, Tucker Carlson, that was the big story of today. He's broken his silence and he said a lot of things that I liked a lot of things that I liked. Um, one of the things that he said that I liked, uh, was that so many of the conversations or the debates on television are completely irrelevant. And this is something that, you know, 
I guess every now and again, I'll just share a little inside baseball, a personal moment, if you will. Right. If it's your first time listening to the show, sorry to to let my hair down. And if it's uh, your umpteenth time listening to the show, then you'll get to know me a little better. But I, I've gotten into, you know, people enjoy debating with me for whatever reason, whether it's on the radio or in real life. You know, people see me and, and they're like, oh, that's that guy. I want to I argue with him. And I usually don't take the bait. I just let them fight by themselves. I'm like, you know, like, oh, what about, what about, what about? And I go, oh, that's great. Good for you. <laughs> nice seeing you. Take care. Bye-bye. The, the, the coffee's good here. You know, <laughs> try the Cuban sandwich. But <clears throat> because I feel that so many of the debates are, I agree with Tucker. A lot of the things that you see debated on television are irrelevant because there's a news cycle. And in a news cycle, there are things that are new today and they're old tomorrow. And then there are certain themes that are not old, right? They're new. They're constants. And it's those constants that I think are most important for, for so many of us, right? So when um, one of the things that I talk about here a lot, you know, we talk about smaller government. And there's a, I'm sure right now I'm hitting a nerve. It's like a knife to your rib when I say that I, I, I appreciate hope and, and, and pray for a smaller government, I don't know that we'll ever get one, right? So many people could say that I'm, a, I, I'm living in a conservative utopia where I think that we'll have a smaller government, but they'll, they'll be the first ones to point out. But look at all your Republican friends in Washington that spend just as much as Democrats. And they're right. They're not wrong, right? So again, some could say that the debate over having a smaller government is an irrelevant one. Now, I don't think it is because I think these are things that matter and eventually you're going to get the right people involved that may not be able to wave a magic wand and change things overnight, but can definitely take the steps to to do the right thing, right? Ronald Reagan, and we have a clip of Reagan, and uh, maybe we could cue that up, but Ronald Reagan had a famous quote where he talked about the importance of government getting out of the way, right? Getting out of the way, getting out of our pocket, government not being the solution to the problem, government being the problem. And uh, it was an interview that he was doing with Johnny Carson, another legend in, uh, in, in the talk show game. And it was one of those things I said, you know, this is a cut that I'm going to play ad nauseum as often as I can because I think Reagan really nails it here. And to me, it's the idea that matters, right? It's kind of what Tucker's talking about here, where he's saying that people are genuinely nice. They're concerned for his situation and that uh, so many of these debates on TV are completely irrelevant and that there is hope. Uh, and, and Reagan also makes these, these sharp points. Listen to this. So everybody is confused. Uh, how, how, how do you see the thing? What, how are we going to get out of this? Well, uh, Johnny, I think that one of the things is that people keep looking to government for the answer, and government's the problem. You, a moment ago, you, you asked, you know, about people and feeling not only confused, but right. low and, and down in America. First of all, the American people, if they would just take a little inventory and look around, you triple our troubles, and we're better off than any other people on Earth. And we've asked so much of government, and we've gotten in the habit over the last 40 years of thinking that government has the answers. There's very little that government can do as efficiently and as economically as the people can do themselves. And if government would shut the doors and sneak away for about three weeks, we'd never miss them. Now, the, 
If, if the people want to Anybody you had in mind particularly? <laughs> now, you know, th- this brings to mind what we were talking about earlier with the having the political will to face these shutdowns. Reagan just said it would be great if the government were to shut down for three weeks. Imagine that. It would be like a weekend, right? The government shut down on the weekends. The great one, Mark Levin, always points that out. And if the government is shut down Saturday and Sunday, and if there's a proverbial holiday on a Monday, you have a three-day weekend. And most of us enjoy those three-day weekends. We don't fall apart. Oh, my gosh, there's no government. And things do work just fine. So just imagine three weeks of shutdown. Now, the media will make it into a frenzy and, and, oh, this is the worst thing ever. But it's really not the worst thing ever. And that might be the leverage that McCarthy and the Republicans need. But you need to have that political will, that political courage to do it. Now, uh, this is not a critique or an indictment or or anything on McCarthy per se. Um, but it's on the idea, the on the philosophy of of governing, right? And, and I feel you have to go along to get along in certain situations because this is politics. But there's other situations where you need to stick to your guns and have these philosophical and ideological battles. And, and I think when it comes to a smaller government, reducing spending, you know, th- these, are, these are key elements uh, of, of the conservative movement that you, you've got to just, you got to stick with. Now, I realize that we're outnumbered in Washington while we have the House. We, we don't have the White House. We don't have the Senate. So um, there's some horse trading that has to go on. But we have to be willing to have these, these fights. And when I say fights, I don't mean like, you know, punching somebody in the face. I'm talking about having an actual political battle with someone like, like we've seen in the past. So I do believe there's hope, you know, to, to bring these two points together. I do believe so many of the debates we have are irrelevant because we're chasing the news and we're reacting to the news and we're responding to the news. But there are themes and real problems that continue to permeate in society, like the attack on children, the fact that we're normalizing in the minds of many adults that it's okay for a minor child to decide to be the opposite sex and for us not to say, you have a mental problem and you need help. And instead, we're condoning that and saying, yes, no, go right ahead. You should do what you want to do. As if this new novel idea came about in the 2020, 2022, 2023. For the last several thousand years, we never did this, and nobody realizes that it's probably a good reason uh, and a good idea not to do that. Anyway, so that's part of what I wanted to talk about. Uh, I have a little bit more on that, but I also have a lot of calls I want to get to, and with uh, only one hour in Open Phone America, you've got to make sure you use your time wisely. So we're going to continue to talk about that, and um, and I'm going to continue to share my thoughts on on this partisanship and on the importance of things, because there's one more point that I want to make, but we're going to take a pause right here, let you call in, 833-4-VALDEZ. I'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
All right, America, welcome back. We're going to get to your calls right now, momentarily, 833-4-VALDEZ. Um, I wanted to just uh, finish my thought before, which was, I was working my way up to it, which was, why is there so much self-righteousness in trashing the American system? This uh, false imagined altruism and in being independent, in my opinion, is a mistake. And, and I bring it back to the old saying from Lord Acton and Sir Edmund Burke and others, uh, if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. And there's a lot of people out there that, that take a lot of pride in making statements like, listen, I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. I just vote for the right person. And they feel that this is the best thing for them. And I could see how they could feel that this fierce and strong independent streak is somehow great. But in reality, I don't know that it is. I mean, when you have an, an incredibly clear contrast in a political system in our country that is based on, on you know, two parties, whichever ones they were, the Whigs and the other, this one and that one, whatever and whatnot, uh, Democrats and Republicans. They're, they're very clear. They're not similar in, in almost any way. Right. They if one says we like this, the other one, we hate that. <laughs> and it may not have always been like that, but that's how it is now. I think it's clear that we um, I think the real altruism here is in standing up for what you believe in, not in in being wishy washy. And I'm not trying to insult anybody and I'm not saying my my way is right and your way is wrong, but I'm really trying to get you to think. And I know that by making comments like this, um, people will say, oh, that's wrong. But, but I want you to think, I really want you to uh, have a moment of introspection and, and think to yourself, there is literally a political party where eight, nine, 10 of the people, you know, if you eight or nine out of 10 Democrats support this new word that they've created called gender affirming care, they've created a whole word for this. And there's another political party where you might get some people, same thing, eight, nine, 10, or eight or nine out of every 10 Republicans are going to say that's absolute insanity. Now, if you think there's altruism and self-righteousness and saying, look, I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. What's the next word going to be out of your mouth? I think it's okay. If a kid wants to be a girl, a little boy wants to be a little girl, let the little kid be a girl. Now you're part of the problem, in my opinion. Right now you've crossed the line. Because whatever your persuasion is, whatever your philosophy is, nobody should be pro-children being reckless. There's not a, a shred of proof in, in my lifetime that I've seen. And I've seen the, the, the Harvard study doesn't prove anything to me. It's a study that says that the, the transgender individual will kill themselves less if they, if they get this sex change. I disagree. And there's a lot of people that disagree. I'm not just disagreeing because I don't like it. I'm disagreeing because I don't think it's healthy. It, no, at no point in human history, and this wasn't even part of my conversation, but I, I wanted to make this point about people feeling so fiercely independent and thinking that it's a great thing. And I'm not saying that's not a great thing. 
I'm just saying, don't be fooled into thinking it's a good thing and that there's some sort of altruism and, and, and self-righteousness to it when there, in fact, is not. If anything, it's being non-committal. It's being undecided. And I think this we're at a point in time in life where we have to be moored. We have to be solid in our belief, whatever our belief may be. Just be solid in it. Anyway, that's the thought. And I'll talk more about that tomorrow, but I wanted to share that with you. And uh, now we can get to the fun stuff because there's some stuff out there that's absolutely for the birds. And then I'll get to your calls, I promise. Uh, there's a zoo in England that's hiring what they're calling a seagull deterrent worker who's going to have to wear a giant bird costume to scare away seagulls. Now, I'm going to tell you this. If you've ever been down to the Jersey Shore, try and scare away a seagull at the Jersey Shore or on Brighton Beach or Coney Island Beach in Brooklyn, New York, while you have some food in your hand. Try it. I, I dare you to try it. Good luck. You're tossing the food and you're running. Those things are vicious. Anyway, let's get to your calls. Uh, well, we got a lot here. Let's go with uh, Frank in Evergreen, Montana. He's been on hold the longest. KOFI, go right ahead. Hi. Uh, you know, I, I believe in hope in the future, but when it comes to electric cars, I don't know. They say 2035 will be the year everyone has to have an electric car, and everyone's saying they their brand is going to be the leader. But what I understand is, General Electric, they've been doing electric motors longer than all. And uh, they, they make commercial vehicles and uh, big industry and uh, apps. I didn't and, know that. Uh, I, I didn't know General uh, Electric yeah. made vehicles. Oh, they came out with new the, every day. The first, one of the first electric cars back in the 70s, but it was a series of six-volt batteries that were in. Uh, still weighed about a half a ton, but it was a, just a small little subcompact car that seated four people. But wow! Um, the uh, you know, speaking of the weight, do, was, do you remember that story we did the other day, Frank, in New York when they had the collapse in the um, in the parking garage structure? Uh, they, they said that the electric cars weigh more than their um, fossil fuel counterparts, and that's fascinating. You're saying this is going back even into the '70s, where these electric cars. Weighed that much more. Fascinating. GE, it really is. What they want to do is uh, GE wants to come up with a new, it'll be a, a, a model for the people in 2035, and it'll be the, the ZUZ, so it'll be the GE-Zuz, the electric g <laughs> so. The electric g That's pretty clever, though. <laughs> the G-E-Z-U-Z. Oh, I like that. That's funny. Anyway, is that the brand that you'd uh, opt for, Frank? Oh, uh, yeah, I'm going to drive to Golden Brick Road. Yeah, I'll have perfect credit, of course. Uh, of course. Now, Frank, I have to ask you this. Um, you know, if you have perfect credit, that means they may charge you more interest because of Biden's new rule, where if you have bad credit, they'll give you lower interest rates. And if you have good credit, they'll raise your interest rate to make up to help the other guy. But w would you consider, I'm, I'm presuming that you're um, retired or close to retiring, would you pres uh, consider taking this job of a um, seagull deterrent? What do you mean a seagull? Well, they're, they're apparently they're trying to scare away seagulls by having somebody dress up as a large bird. Um, I don't think you guys have seagulls in, in Montana. Do you? Like where, where you are by your ranch? 
Well, we had Al Gore doing, he started the internet with <laughs> algorithms doing a Macarena. Yes. <laughs> the algorithm, yes. He's the inventor of the internet. Well, I don't know. I guess that's your, your we're a very polite way of saying you're not taking the seagull deterrent job. Frank in Evergreen, Montana, always a pleasure. Big shout out to everybody in Kalispell area and KOFI. And, of course, we're going to get to the rest of your calls straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. It's me, Rich Valdez, plus you guys uh, all coming up straight ahead. 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And you can chime in online at Rich Valdez with an S on all of the social media. All right, we're going to discuss that coming back. Plus, uh, I think I've got a little audio for you, too. But don't move a muscle. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Rich Valdez. And I wanted to, um, I wanted to share this other story. I mean, there's just some crazy stuff out there. Stuff like I said, it was literally for the birds, not just this zoo in England that's getting a scarecrow uh, dressed as a, you know, to scare away seagulls. They're calling it a seagull deterrent. But um, the CBC, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, there's listen, there's a real story on the CBC. Parrots who learn to video call. May uh, feathered friends feel less lonely, according to a study. Uh, listen to this. We wanted to see how we could leverage technology to improve their quality of life, said one of the co-researchers. Mm-hmm. Polly want a cracker? Maybe after a FaceTime call. According to this recent study at Northwestern University in Boston, parrots have been taught to contact their feathered peers with a video call app, and it's showing that the parrots have signs of feeling less isolated or lonely. Now, I don't know how a parrot even tells a researcher that they feel lonely, but this is what they've come up with. Now, many parrot, uh, parrot species live in large flocks. When they live with humans, they're usually isolated from other birds. That can lead to heightened loneliness and boredom. <laughs> Did you know that your parrot is bored? Um, so when they're kept as pets, they're very often the only bird around. And this is when they start to identify as lonely. This is according to the researchers here. The parrots were taught the association between ringing a bell and, and their owner bringing them an iPad with a selection of birds. Then the parrot could choose which one they'd like to call via video. It was important to allow the parrots to choose which of their friends, quote unquote, they were going to call, according to the researcher named Kleinberger here. Rebecca Meager, she's an assistant professor at Dalhousie University's Department of Animal Science and Aquaculture, uh, aquaculture or aquaculture. Uh, she said similar experiments could benefit other social animals. She also said similar work has been done before involving showing videos of other animals to primates. Now, that's their story. Basically, look, the parrot's happier if you let him do FaceTime with another bird. I don't know that I buy any of this. And I did a, a radio show and a podcast several years ago because one day I had to go run an errand on a weekend with my kid. And I turn on, you know, for fodder, I turn on NPR, WNYC in New York. 
to hear what they're saying. And I hear a girl saying, and I was so, I forget her dog's name. I'm going to call him Bruiser. And she was like, I was so concerned. Every time I go out with Bruiser, he's always lunging at men. And then she works her way up to making the point that her dog always lunges at black men. And the question became that she starts asking on this, this radio program, public radio. Um, she says, I wonder if my dog is a racist. So now they're going through this whole narration on this program of how she's going to take her kid to um, New Haven, uh, Connecticut, to Yale University, to the Department of Animal No Se Que, and they're going to go ahead and study the dog to see if the dog is a racist. And this is like a serious hard news story that I'm laughing my butt off in my car saying, you've got to be kidding me. Clearly, they've never had a dog uh, before. I mean, if your dog is lunging at people, it's not because the dog is a racist. It's because the dog senses your fear around those people. So the dog becomes apprehensive on your behalf. If your dog is aggressive that way, you you start, the dog trains you. So you, oh my God, no, my dog doesn't like people. So right away, you become nervous, your dog gets nervous, and they do exactly what they're trained to do instinctually it, to get aggressive. And again, dog owners who are listening to me right now know that what I'm talking about is 100% true. Um, and then there's NPR people that did this study. Anyway, I will replay that on, on the podcast. This is America with Rich Valdez. Make sure you subscribe to that. Um, we'll get that in there. It's an older podcast, but I think it's worth uh, an encore presentation because it's hysterical. Just like this parrot study, in my opinion, is hysterical. But I want to get to your calls. I know there's a lot of things to talk about. Let us go to Kim in Michigan, listening on KDKA. Hey, Kim, welcome. Hi, Rich. Thank you. Um, yeah. I called in um, about, uh, well, for, I'll tell you right off the bat, so you don't have to ask me. I, I don't want to be uh, apply for a, a seagull scarecrow job because I imagine <laughs> you get bird poops on a lot. <laughs> but what I want to know, Kim, I do want to know, do, do you believe this parrot study? Do you think the parrots are happier when they FaceTime each other? Um. No, I was thinking if your parent, you could play a video just for him to watch. That's what people do for their cats and dogs. They'll put videos on if their if their pets are lonely. You know. So maybe the video you know call I mean? is is a substitute for a video that you know analog video. So maybe there's truth to it. You may have you may have changed my mind. <laughs> I see that on the internet. Um, you know, but anyways, what I called about is Biden and I, I don't know how, how far gone he's gotta be to say the things he was saying about how great everything's been the two and a half years he's been in and how we don't want to go back. I mean, everything's gone wrong in the time he's been in, in our country alone, um, the prices, the just, I mean, everything. Now the banks are starting to go and they say in quarter three and four, we could see a depression uh, crash in the stock market comparable to the 1991 crash. Just everything is going to hell in the U.S. and the world. It's not just he, Biden and the, their side is not just affecting us. Yeah. I mean, 
uh, the Ukraine, Putin never would have went in there with President Trump in office. And um, now Taiwan has to worry because China's moving their fleet into the the harbor there. You know, the whole world has gone crazy since they know the world knows that a senile, nasty, old, crooked old man is in the White House and nobody's going to do anything about it. And they're going to take advantage Mm -hmm. of this. What do you You know, Kim, I think you're right. Uh, I think you're right, and I think that Joe Biden's not just senile. I think he's he's lost a lot of luster, and he's not as sharp as he was. But I, a lot of this, I think, is just these are political deals that he's made, and not with Republicans and not with other Democrats, but with politicians from other countries. And now he's got to live up to those deals. And it's a, it's a sad day for America. Thank you, Kim. I appreciate it. Let's continue our uh, conversation here across America. Let's go to Mary. Mary's in St. Joseph, Missouri on KMA, listening uh, from Iowa. I guess you're streaming that. Mary, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hi, Rich. Hey, I, I think you've been talking a lot about birds tonight, and I wanted to yes. ask you a question. Go right um, ahead. Why do, why do ducks have tail feathers? Well, as I understand it, I think ducks have tail feathers because they use them like rudders when they're swimming, and they have that special waterfowl type of feather that kind of the water beads off of it, and it helps them to to navigate in the water. But what do I know? Well, that's probably true, but the real reason is it's to cover their butt quacks. (laughs) I'm a sucker for jokes like that. (laughs) I really find them funny. Oh, that was terrific. That was terrific. Now, Mary, I have to ask you, are you, um, A, buying this story about parrots that feel less lonely when they FaceTime each other? I the think video parrots call. get lonely. Oh, they're very sensitive birds. All right, so you buy it. And, and And how do you think that these researchers are assessing the parrot's loneliness? I don't know. Yeah, I can't imagine they get a little leather couch, right? And say, hey, Polly, how are you feeling? Well, you know, uh, uh, lonely, lonely. I don't know. I just, the whole thing sounds funny to me. Mary, thank you for the joke and for the call. I appreciate it. That was terrific. Uh, We're going to pause right here, coming back straight to your calls. We got New Hampshire, Delaware, Indiana, New York, lots of calls all across the country. More to come straight ahead. 833-4-VALDEZ. Open Phone America. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. He's brown, he's bald, and he's breaking it down. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, let's go to Justin Manhattan, Man- not Manhattan, Manchester, New Hampshire, WNTK. Justin, welcome. <laughs> Thanks for taking my call, Rich. Uh, I appreciate that introduction there. <laughs> you got it, brother. Um, I, have to, uh, <laughs> I have to say, Rich, um, man, I don't know which name I like better, Yum Yum or Fang Fang. Uh, <laughs> I think Yum Yum was so good. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> yeah, you know what? That might just be a tie. Those are both. Great. I love that. 
Um, but, uh, yeah, the reason I called, Rich, um, I, I'm, I'm with you all the way, brother. Um, as far as the um, uh, House bill goes, I, I was hoping that it wasn't even going to pass. I, I was really hoping that the members of uh, the Republican members of the House was going to, you know, we're going to put up a lot more of a fight and, and hold out and, you know, and just say to Joe Biden, hey, you know, if you, you know, if you want the shutdown to happen, then so be it. You know, I, I really wish they had put up a fight because I know that's what I would have done if I was a member of the House. You know, I would have I would have said, hey, if you want to shut down, then, hey, let it happen. You know, if that's what it takes to get our debt under control. And, you know, and this is an interesting place because I, I get it. Look, and, and the only reason I get it, and I realize a lot of people, um, you know, that are regular people, right? People who've never worked in government, who just work hard every day to pay the taxes that these guys go and spend like drunken sailors. We look at stuff like that and we're like, you know, I've already spent all this money. What do I got to lose? Let's have the fight. But having worked in government and been inside the swamp, I understand that there are times where you're going to do things that may seem counterintuitive to everybody else, but because it's part of this grander scheme of making government continue to work because you got to get things done. And, and, um, you know, so the, the activist talk radio person inside of me says, you know, let, let's have the fight. But then there's, you know, the, the political person inside me that analyzes things and says, well, you know, we, sometimes you got to make these deals. And, and I, and I think the mark of a good leader, president, politician, uh, what I thought Trump was good at was making those decisions. When do you say things like, you know, Mitch McConnell, he's very good. He's very good on judges. Uh, when do you make comments like Mitch McConnell, his wife, they're sold out to China, right? And I've heard Trump make both comments and and both are true. And and I you have to pick and choose the battles that you get into and, and hopefully know that you're going to win them. And I guess, you know, I think McCarthy's political instincts have been sharp throughout this process. And that's why I think he had the confidence of so many people to become speaker, uh, despite the holdouts at the end. And I, I want to believe that this was the right way to go. Um, a good part of me says, nah, we should have probably had a little fight here <laughs> to see how far we could go. And, and I don't know which part of me is right, but, um, that's just literally where I am on this one because you just don't know. And, and, you know, there's a good part of so many of us that says, you know what, send me to Washington. I'll tell them how easy it is to say no and, and do this shutdown. Because in, in our real lives, what do we care if we can't buy stamps today? You know, if we have to wait a few more days to buy stamps. Or, you know, if you can't go register your car because the government, you know, at a state level, let's say, you know, is shut down or whatever. So I don't think it's, it's detrimental the way it is. But the problem is we don't have the media on our side. Yeah, we don't even have Fox News on our side, right? Uh, so that's where it becomes dire, where, you know, they turn on, they crank up their machine, their propaganda machine, and they just start telling everybody, oh, my gosh, it's the end of the world. Oh, my gosh, the government's shut down. Oh, my goodness, the thousands and thousands of people are going to go without payments. They're not going to get their paychecks. It's going to be the end of the world. And none of that's true, right? There's never been a government shutdown where people lose out. They always get back pay. So I, I just think it's um, it, it's it's overblown by the media and they're the linchpin here. Without the media running that cover, we, we could have government shutdowns all the time. And I think people would realize, yeah, you know what? We get by in life without the government being open and they'd be more open to having a smaller, more limited size of government. So we're going to get to that as well straight ahead. But Justin, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. We're going to take a quick pause right here. Coming back to your calls in Delaware, 
Indiana, New York, and more. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, welcome back. We continue with your calls and more. Let's go to Wilmington, Delaware, W-D-E-L. My man, Doc, go right ahead. My amigo, my conservative Puerto Rican amigo, I got news for you from Smellaware. We have a grassroots movement led by a local mm-hmm. conservative talker, one of the best in the country. He has a right to call for AP. He's on W-D-E-L. He has led the movement by acclamation. He's been semi-elected to lead the movement. Delawareans all across the state are revolting against the, de- the governor, who's a Democrat's edict that all Delawareans must have electric cars by 2035. Very, very large, rich mass rallies all over the state, and including the state capital of Dover. It ain't going to pass, man. You got to you got to keep the government small and keep the people in control, right? You need a you need a large we the people and a small they the government. That's what gets it to happen. And I'm with you. Listen, I, I just got a new car. I looked at a Tesla. I like them. But uh, I don't want anybody forcing me to, to get the car that they say I have to get. Come on, get out of here. Beat it with that one. Doc, thanks for the call. Let us continue here. Um, Sarah, Bedford, Indiana, WBIW. Go right ahead quickly. Uh, you were really spot on calling, the, uh, calling out political neutrality in these times. The uh, Democrat and Republican parties are so different. Underlying philosophies are so different that I can't see how someone can say, well, I'm neutral or I'll vote for this candidate this year and the other this year. So good job on that. Well, thank you. And I, and I think it's only the sign of the times that um, brings about that thought for me, because, you know, I've always been that person and say, you know what, you know, um, I, I like their views on this and their views on that. But the more you spend time looking at these views, the more you realize, and I'm not saying you have to be in one camp or the other. You just have to be sure in what you believe. And I feel so many people are like, you know, I'd rather watch the Kardashians or NBA or whatever it is they watch. And then the next thing, you know, they're like, yeah, maybe I'll go vote. Maybe I won't. We can't afford that type of uh, uh, non-committal attitude when it comes to civic engagement. Just get in and be in. Thank you, Sarah. I appreciate that. Big shout out to everybody in Indiana, WBIW. Uh, let's go to Linda in Albany. We're going to wrap it up with you, Linda. WGDJ, go right ahead. Uh, thank you for taking my call. Uh, this is in regards to the beer that instead of going woke, they could have done, used an old-fashioned term, done something honorable and invented a new, brand-new product to go along with what they've got there that has no alcohol in it, which will help young people, if they take that, won't wind up causing accidents. Brilliant idea. Instead of those two guys that just lost their jobs for being responsible for that crazy fiasco at Bud Light, that's right. They should have just created a new brand, called it, I don't know, Woke Light, and they could have gone with Woke Light and said, Woke Light, Dylan Mulvaney's our main guy. This is a product of Anheuser-Busch, you know, the company behind Budweiser. There's many ways you could have sold it, and the Bud Light crowd would have been like, yeah, I'm sticking with my blue can Bud Light. But it was when you, you tried to force that agenda on people, on their culture, on their way of life, on their blue beer can, they said, you know what? Enough is enough. I don't believe in this. I don't think it's right. I don't think it's appropriate. And I reject it uh, out of hand. And, uh, and I think Bud Light has learned a lesson here. And I think Fox News is about to learn a lesson. And, you know, that, that's just how it is. Maybe they won't. Who knows? You know, they, 
They went through this once before when they lost Bill O'Reilly um, and they bounced back with Tucker Carlson. And uh, my gut tells me they'll probably bounce back again. And this will just really be of benefit to we the people. People are going to have a chance to really uh, have more options, you know, and I think that's uh, what ultimately the free market is all about when you're able to to have more options. So uh, people who want to hear from Tucker, rest assured, I think you'll continue to hear from Tucker. Rest assured, I think you're going to continue to hear from me and and the rest of the options that are out there because that's what this is all about. It's about a free market of ideas and those with good ideas will prevail. And those that don't have good ideas won't prevail. And that's what I love about the marketplace of ideas and the free market overall. Anywhere, anywhere, anyway. <laughs> Take care, good night, and God bless. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time we meet again, I want you to keep listening to this radio station because there's always great programming until we get back. I'm Rich Valdez. This was America at Night, and we're going to do it all again tomorrow. God bless. Hasta la próxima. Hey guys, welcome to the Candy Valentino Show. I'm Candy Valentino. I was a founder before I could legally order a drink. And for more than two and a half decades, I've built, scaled, acquired, and exited multiple businesses in diverse industries. Now my goal is to help you by sharing the knowledge that I've learned, the mistakes that I've made, and the wisdom that I've developed over my journey. Bi-weekly episodes every Monday and Thursday. The Candy Valentino Show, wherever you listen.